Wow, that's awesome. Such a powerful testimony of transformation, and I want to thank Tony. If you know him, uh, we were blessed to be able to add him to our staff um, last year, and he has a heart of service and loves the Lord and is a becoming a disciple, and he's going to be making disciples as well. So uh, we love you, Tony, wherever you are out there, and uh, thanks for sharing that. Guys, welcome this morning. Man, this is phenomenal. This is like old times. You know, this is, this is pretty sweet out there. So yes, we can applaud that for sure. Uh, so good to see everybody. And if you are joining us online uh, at home or perhaps on vacation, I know we got people out of town uh, still. <laughs> so we invite you uh, uh, to join. We're so glad that you have, have joined us today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randy. I'd love to meet you and uh, maybe help you take your next step uh, toward Jesus and uh, your own transformation. I know today is an awesome day, and for a lot of people, it was kind of that target date that they said, we're going to go back to church, and some of you have told me, we decided, I can't think of a better day than, than, Sunday, than Easter to come back and get started again, and so we're, we're great about that, and you know, we need those marking points in our lives, some dates that we can kind of nail down something, and we can say, this is the day that I did this, or I'm going to do this, and we can remember that long term, and I was thinking about some days in our, our lifetime that we remember, some things that are significant dates because something happened then, and we even remember what we were doing, what we were thinking, where we were, people around us and everything. Let me throw out a couple of dates and see uh, if this doesn't uh, bring back some memories. Uh, 9-11-2001, we remember, don't we? Remember where we were when the plane hit the first tower and the second, we remember that, right? Um, let me give you another day. Let me go back further, see how to test your memory. Some of you are, won't remember this at all. You're, you weren't even born. But April the 4th, 1968. Anybody remember April 4th? That was actually 53 years ago that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was assassinated. Uh, another date uh, that's some, even further back, November the 22nd, 1963. Anybody remember that date? Uh, John F. Kennedy, our sitting president, was killed that day. Uh, some of us were young, but uh, others may remember uh, one more date, August 4, 1960. I'm, I'm hurt. That's my birthday. I was born. <laughs> I can't remember you. Man, I don't even know where to go from here, all right? But here you see, we, we all have these marking points in our life. We all have these moments of time that are important. Our birthdays, our wedding day, uh, the birth of our children, the birth of our grandchildren, uh, we, don't remember, we don't forget those days, right? We can recall the events. We can recall where we were, the people around us, what was said, the emotions that, of that day. And they give us really great memories, things to, that's great to remember. And they help keep us grounded when we think back on those moments in time because there's significant marking days. And you know, we have those marking points in our personal lives, like we talked about birthdays and such, but we also might have those in our career, the day we started our job, the day you retire from your job, maybe those were important days to you. We also have them in our spiritual walk as well. And one of those marking points in our spiritual walk is our baptism. And it's so important because in a way, it literally is our second birth. It is the second time that we're born, born of the water, the spirit, beginning our new life in Christ. And we should remember that day well. And I, I do remember the day of my birthday, I was telling somebody just the other day uh, that I remember so well the night I was baptized. I was baptized in a farm pond uh, in, a, in a two-week revival that we had back when I was in fourth grade, I believe. And I remember so much about that day and that moment. It was so significant. I can, I can anchor my faith back to that day. I grew up 
knowing the Lord all my life, I grew up believing in him, but it was that day that really stands out because that was the day that I chose to follow Jesus, no turning back, and I remember that day clearly. You know, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about practices that are found in the Bible that promote spiritual growth among believers. And, and we, most of those things we've talked about are things that we should do frequently. For example, reading the Bible and praying and uh, listening to God and living a life of integrity. Uh, Friday night, we talked about taking the Lord's Supper, something that we need to make a priority every first day of the week. But today, I want to be talking about something that we actually only do one time, a discipline that we choose to do that many people are a little bit resistant to, to be honest with you, for some reason. But we do this one time, but impacts every day of our life. And I'm going to talk specifically about living the baptized life. You know, baptism has implications for every day of our life. That's why even though we do it once, even though we remember that day, uh, you know, for the rest of our life, it, it really impacts our life every day because we are living a new life, something brand new. And this was so powerful, what Tony shared a few moments ago, how that when he was baptized, the old man died and the new man came to life again. And it was so, it was marked even by his language, but also by a transformation in how he thinks and how he talks and how he relates to people and the kind of man he is. It's so, it's so important to understand the impact of that decision in our life. And so I want to spend some time talking about that. And I want to spend some time in the book of Romans, two chapters. I'm not going to read the whole chapters, but chapters five and chapter six to see what this new life kind of looks like. And I'll give you some background. In Romans chapter five, Paul kind of goes back and traces our need for new life back to our original father. In fact, he goes all the way back to the beginning, to the first man who was Adam. And in verse 12, he says, uh, sin entered the world through one man, through Adam. We know that Adam was tempted. We also know that Eve kind of got him there, but he was responsible. He was the first man. Eve came from Adam. And so we, we go all the way back to the first man. And along with that sin that Adam committed and Eve also came the curse of death because God had said, when you eat of it, you will die. Seemingly, they weren't going to die until that point, but they ate the food, the, the, uh, the apple, the fruit, and then <clears throat> they were destined to die. And because sin came from one person, also death came from one person, and nobody's exempt from either one of them. When you think about it, every one of us sin, and every one of us are one day going to die, right? Sin shattered mankind's relationship with God, and sin continues to do so today in all of our lives. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 6, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it just says that we're all going to sin, but unfortunately, that sin leads us to death. Death is separation from God. It leads us to eternal separation from God if that's not repaired by Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So our sin separates us from God. And in our natural state, we are all sinners, every one of us. You know, it doesn't mean we're horrible people, but it does mean that we are broken from God and that we're lost. And our destiny without some intervention is going to be hell. The Bible's clear about that. But in verse 18, Paul goes on to say, hey, that was bad news, but just like one person got it wrong and got us into trouble with sin and death, another person got it right and got us out of trouble. In fact, he got us out of trouble and got us into life. 
One man said no to God and made the whole world suffer, and one man said yes to God and saved the whole world and all those who will believe as well. So whenever Adam fell, he created this chaos. And that's exactly what happened for many, many years. In fact, between Adam and Moses, there was nothing but chaos. Do you remember the big event that happened in that time period? It was the flood. And God destroyed the entire world except one man and his family and some animals he had on the ark because the sin was so rampant all over the world. There was total chaos, total sin and destruction reigned. And then there was the flood, but that didn't even solve it, you know? God knew there had to be something else, so God gave the law to Moses. God chose a man named Abraham to be his people, and he gave him um, uh, the, the history or the his descendants to be God's chosen people. And then God gave the law to Moses to govern those people. But the problem, even the law didn't fix it. The law was only a stopgap. Because, you know, when there are laws, they're automatically going to be lawbreakers. When, when you don't know what's wrong, you're not as guilty as when you do. I was sharing with someone the other day, when I was in the first grade, I grew up in a Christian home and I was taught what was wrong and what's right, but there were things I didn't know. Honestly, I did not know. You're not going to believe this, but I did not know this. When I was in first grade, um, <laughs> we were having spelling tests, and my friend and I, Dwayne, we decided, we, we weren't very good at spelling, still aren't, um, we decided, you know, if we wrote the words down on a piece of paper, we would get them right, you know, during the test. So we wrote the words down, kind of put them there between our legs, and we got 100% on it. And then we got caught, and we realized that was wrong. I know that's common sense. I didn't know that was wrong. And then I knew it was wrong. And then I got punished for it because it was definitely wrong. But knowing the law, knowing the rules makes us guilty. And that's exactly what happened. Once God spelled out the rules to people and they realized, wow, we've been wrong a lot, but they didn't even care. They didn't care. And so the law just made them lawbreakers. It just really made things kind of worse, but it was God establishing what was true and what wasn't. But when Jesus came along, grace replaced the laws and the punishment that, that came from the law. In verse 20, it says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness in, uh, to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus' death and resurrection when that came along, puts us back into a right relationship with God. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. That's why Easter is such a a big deal. Easter reminds us that even though Jesus died for us, for our sins, he came back to life again, and he gives us the hope, not only for a forgiven life here and a blessed life here, but even more importantly, an eternal home in heaven when when we die and we are resurrected. That's the great thing about Easter. You know, it's awesome to know that Jesus came to life again. But selfishly, we want to know what it means to us. And it means that when we die, and we will at some point, that when we die, we too can experience resurrection and be with him forever in heaven. And that's an incredible promise. And you know what? Jesus' resurrection was such an amazing experience that he actually offers us the opportunity to experience the same thing in a very special way ourselves when we give our lives to Christ and that is through baptism. And that's the beauty of what we're going to look at here in, in chapter 6. 
Jesus said that we should believe in him and we should be baptized. When the apostle Peter was asked what our response to hearing the gospel ought to be, he said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, because they were asking, they were going, what are we, what are we supposed to do in response to this news of Jesus who, who was the son of God and who died for us, who was, who was killed for us? And because they were asking, obviously, they already believed and they were convicted of their sins and they wanted to respond to Jesus' invitation of salvation. But they said, what do we do? How do we respond? And Peter uh, says two things. First of all, he says, repent. He says, repent and turn from your sins. You know, the word repentance just means to turn around. It means you were headed to Versailles and you're like, no, I mean, I got to go to Lexington. I want to go to Lexington. You turn around and you go the other way. That's what repentance means. It means leaving one life that you've been living for yourself, like Tony talked about, and living focused on yourself and giving your life to Christ and changing. That's what repentance is all about. And repentance is obvious, right? I mean, that has to happen because how do you know if you're sorry for something? Sorry is easy to say, but when you're really sorry, what do you do? You don't do it again. That's what repentance is all about, and that, that, that means a, tran- a transformed life. And that ought to be our reaction to our sin when we realize what Jesus has done to forgive us, and he gives us the power to resist. But you know what? Peter doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, just change your life. He says, there's something you need to do. He commands them to be baptized. And it's in baptism that we get to have this amazing experience of new life. And that's the tie to Easter. Why, why does baptism always come to mind around Easter time? It's because it's tied in an incredible way to Jesus' resurrection that per, kind of uh, foreshadows our own resurrection someday. In fact, in baptism, we get a chance to experience in a small but powerful way the same thing that Jesus did in his own resurrection. You know, many people have given their life to Christ, but, but they have not been baptized, and they don't understand what baptism really is all about. And I think the reason for that is, is for some reason, and I don't know why, to be honest, because the Bible's pretty clear about this, but for some reason, they've not been taught, and the importance of baptism was never really taught to them. It was just believe in Jesus, and, and that's important, but, but making that decision to be baptized is what kind of seals the deal. For some, they've been, not been taught the importance of baptism. Other people believe that they have to wait to reach this higher level of, a, of a, you know, a certain point in their spiritual walk until they're worthy to be baptized. I've talked to people that say, you know, I want to be baptized someday, but once I get everything figured out or once I get my act together, then I'm going to be baptized. And I don't know where that comes from. I think it's our natural tendency to put things off, probably. But the reality is it should never, ever be put off. Baptism is not for advanced, really holy believers. It's not for second-level Christians. It's for every believer, every one of us. In fact, it is a, a particularly important part of giving our lives to Christ. And in every account in the Bible, which is where we find our model of faith and and, uh, commands to obey, in every account in the Bible of someone believing and following Christ, they are baptized immediately. In fact, the language is that same day, that very hour, that's what the Bible says. So it's important to understand that baptism has an important part in place. And that's because baptism is kind of an experiential part of becoming a new person in Christ. That we might believe in Jesus, but until we do something about it, you know, it, it may not be as real as it can be. When the Bible talks about being born again, it means that we have become a new person in Christ. And baptism symbolizes that in a beautiful way of being born again. 
First of all, let's take a moment and ask about the word baptism. What does baptism really mean? Well, baptism, a great uh, definition, baptism is the immersion of a repentant believer. In in the Greek language, which is what the the New Testament was written in, (coughs) the word baptize means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. To dip, plunge, or immerse. So in every aspect, it is going under the water. And the word basically came from a practice that they have, even in the Old Testament uh, practices, where they would ceremonially take somebody and they would dip them in water for a symbolic cleansing. And then they would bring them up and, uh, and they would kind of start over again. So the method of baptism taught in the Bible is very clear, and that's through, it's by immersion. And through the years, however, the method has kind of been altered by, by some people, probably with good intentions, but primarily I think it was for convenience, because it's much easier to sprinkle some water than it is to immerse someone. Uh, when it was really cold outside, uh, they might just sprinkle some water, you know, instead of actually baptize, immersing someone. Back during the days of the Crusades, you know, they would sprinkle an entire army. You know, they would throw water over. It was much easier to do that and convert them, whatever that might mean in that day. So it was kind of uh, perverted, to be honest with you. The whole idea of baptism was kind of lost in, in this symbolism. And, and in reality, only immersion is true to the real meaning of the word and to the symbolism that it carries. So whenever we baptize, we take someone, walk down into the baptistry water. We put them under, briefly under the water, briefly, notice that, and then bring them up again. Nobody wants to be waterboarded, right? Uh, but it's just under and then back again because it's all symbolic. The process is simple, but the significance and the meaning is very deep. So we were back in Romans chapter 5 a few moments ago to catch us up to say this is why we need it. But now let's move on to Romans chapter 6 and find the real depth of teaching about baptism. In Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those, (coughs) excuse me, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like him, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, Paul's been talking about the grace that covers our sins when we can't be good enough, and none of us are, right? Or we can't keep the law, none of us can, and so we need God's grace and God's forgiveness. But you know what? This is not a cheap grace that we just take for granted, and we just keep on sinning and living like we always have. Paul says, don't do that. In fact, he says, you can't do that because you have died to sin. You are a new person in Christ Jesus. And so he says, therefore, you need to experience a a, a, a change in your life, an event that will change it and will transform you that's full of symbolism. And so we experience baptism as a marking point in our lives to drive a stake in the ground and declare that from this point forward, I'm a new person. I'm living for Christ. You know, I think that's important because if you were like me, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, kind of like Tony said, <coughs> believed in God all my life. But at the age of probably at 10 or 11, something like that, I decided to follow Jesus. I decided I was, bap- I was baptized and I never looked back. And I marked that point in my life as being significant, as being important. I am a new person from that moment forward and I'm living for Jesus and I'm not turning back. 
And I think it's significant that each step on our spiritual journey to Christ kind of leads us into a deeper walk and a deeper commitment with him. I've always thought this was kind of neat how the Bible kind of designs this, this process. And I don't want to, you know, lower it to the idea of steps, but I believe that progressively coming to Christ is a process. It doesn't just happen in a moment. It's, it's something that we process in our mind. For example, the first step in coming to Christ is believing. And we believe, we believe in our head. When tell, somebody tells you something, you have to decide, is that true or not? Do I believe that? And we believe that Jesus is the Christ. We learn about him. We consider his claim to be the son of God. We come to realize that we're sinners. We're in need of a savior. And we believe in our head. But you know what? We believe a lot of things that we don't respond to, right? I believe things I ought to be doing. I'm not doing them yet because I'm just not convicted enough about it. It hasn't moved to my heart. And that's where change really comes from, our heart. And that's the second step is repentance. And that comes from inside of us. Our belief is not just in our mind, but as we become more convinced of it, we have a conviction that we must act on it. And we're going to change something. And so we repent from our past and commit to change. The third step is confession. And that's just acknowledging that we're sinners and that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our faith is growing. We not only believe it, but we're convicted of it. We're convinced and we're, we're cut to the heart, is another phrase the Bible uses. And we're in our faith is deepened to the point that we can verbally state it. And we say, literally, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the fourth step is baptism, which is a physical act of obedience, and progressively, you see those steps that progressively take us from believing something to being convicted of something to saying something and then actually doing something. And that kind of moves us on our spiritual journey to the point of transformation. But you know what? Baptism is also more than just a physical act of obedience. And Paul explains what it really is in Romans chapter 6. The beauty of baptism is that it is a picture of Jesus' death burial, and resurrection. Again, why it connects us to Easter in a very clear way. That we experience symbolically what Jesus experienced literally. Here's what he says in verses 3 and 4. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's what that looks like, literally, practically. We step into the water, having believed, having repented, made a decision, a conscious decision to change our life and give it to Christ, willingly confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then we're ready to die to our old self. So we're putting the past behind us. We are lowered into the watery grave. We're buried with Christ. We're baptized into his death, identifying with him. And then we're raised up from the water, born again to live a new life. An amazing experience. Anyone who was, knew what they were doing, who was baptized, will never forget that moment of coming from the water and realizing that you are beginning a new life. And Paul says that we have been crucified with Christ. We have died to sin. If we have done that, we'll surely be raised with him, identifying both with his death and his resurrection. He goes on to say, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives for God or to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you see, we believe that Jesus is alive. 
In fact, we believe that Jesus is now in heaven preparing a place for those of us who are his prepared people, and that one day we're going to, when our lives are over, we're going to go to live with him forever. And baptism is what gives us that hope. We have died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised with Christ. No longer does death have any fear to us. Death should not be something that Christian fears because we have hope, because we have life before us. We know that death is not the end of us. There is something beyond. And because death no longer has a hold on Christ, it no longer has a hold on us either. We are dead to our sin. We are alive to Christ, uh, to God in Christ Jesus. You know, I know that there are a lot of opinions out there regarding whether baptism is important or necessary or not. And I think the Bible is really clear on that. It's, it's where man's opinions come in that really begin to cloud the water. And, and I, frankly, I don't understand why people understate it's important. Because when somebody in the Bible gave their life to Christ, the same pattern was followed. They believed, they repented, they confessed, they were baptized immediately. Not an afterthought, it's not an option, it's a command. And Paul has shown us not only why, but how, and why the, the whole method makes sense and, and how it connects with us with Jesus. And so that's so important. And, and by the way, it's not just Paul who sanctions baptism. Remember, it's clearly stated in the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and baptize and make disciples. In Mark chapter 16, it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, one of my favorite verses, baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bible is so clear about the place of baptism that I can't imagine why we would be distracted or why we would be confused. It's so very clear. You know, we do baptisms anytime that people are ready. Anytime. In fact, I think we've got a video queued up here, a video from this past Sunday night when two of our students in our student ministry uh, were baptized. They wanted to be baptized with their friends in that setting. And so uh, we're going to bring that to you by video. So let's, let's watch this real quick. I ask you a simple question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And do you believe that He died on the cross to save you from your sins? Because you confess that, you won't notice it. Allie and I are going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've been praying hard for both Hannah and Savannah. Yes, and, uh, Savannah came to our leadership retreat, and I've known her for several weeks since she was ready. So, Savannah, I'm really excited that you made this decision. I know your family's excited as well. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Hannah. Uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died on the cross to save you from your sins? Awesome. Amen. So, did you profess that? To Ellie and I are baptizing in the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, I love to be able to show that because that just reminds us how significant it is, these young people giving their life to Christ and at this point in their life, and uh, we need to celebrate that. And we, so we do baptism anytime and all the time that people are prepared to do so and give their life to Christ, but we always make Easter kind of a special baptism day. And I encourage people, again, to think about that marking point in their life, to say this is the day that they gave their life to Christ. We can say, I've believed in Jesus all my life. 
but when did I make that decision solid? When, when can I point back? When can I remember and never forget that moment and that time? And I would love for today to be that day for you. And we've been announcing this for a few weeks and preparing it. And, uh, and I know it's easy to put things off. In fact, sometimes put th- people put things off for a lifetime. They never get around to them. And it's so important, as we've seen today, that I, I don't want that to happen. And so we want to give you this time and offer you this invitation and this opportunity. And if you're here and you are a believer in Christ, but you've never been baptized, then I want to invite you to, to come today and do that. I want to invite you to drive a stake in the ground and make today a marking point that you could say, I know for certain, just when I gave my life to Christ, I know when it's real, I know when it, when it matters, I'll never forget that moment in time. And uh, if you were not immersed to experience the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then, then I would encourage, encourage you to come. Because again, baptism is the immersion of a repentant believer. The second part of that is the repentant side and, you know, if you were sprinkled by your parents and didn't make the decision for yourself, then you need to come because that's important. It's important that you decide that. It's wonderful that parents can dedicate their children. In fact, we have a time of dedication. We don't sprinkle or, or anything like that, but we ask parents to dedicate their children. But it really needs to be your decision, a repentant believer, that you decide to do that. And so if you were sprinkled as a child, it was great to be dedicated, but I want to encourage you to make that decision and to come and be baptized. If you don't remember your baptism, you had no idea why you were baptized, then maybe you need to be rebaptized. Here's the thing. I think sometimes is we can become defensive and we as well as reluctant and you know uh, procrastinators, but we can be defensive about this. Never let pride keep you from doing what you know you need to do. And that's so important. I really care about you. I want you to be in heaven, and I know you want to be in heaven. And so as we talk about this, let me just encourage you and try to encourage you to to let down any barrier they might have. And I know sometimes it's hard to do it in a public setting, and we try to make that as easy as possible. And, uh, and maybe you don't want to do it in this setting. Maybe you come up to me later and say, we, we want to, I want to do this privately. And that's perfectly all right as well. But we would love to do it with the church family. You probably see how exciting it was when everybody gathered around and shared in those baptisms the other night. So here's how I want to do this. And, and we're going to, we have a couple songs that we're going to sing. And at the end of that, if we have folks that come, we're going to be having a, a baptismal service. But uh, I'm going to just come, when I come finish here, I'm just going to, while our, our worship team is coming back, I'm just going to kind of walk down the aisle. And if you want to be baptized, just, just walk out with me. Uh, just go to the back of the building and come around to this side. Uh, we have the water is warm. We've already checked that out. It feels awesome. Uh, it's going to feel really good just getting in the water, but um, it's going to be awesome when you come up out of that water. I promise you that. And we have clothes for you. I know you're probably said I didn't come prepared. That's okay. We've got clothes back here ready, and we're prepared to do that. And uh, so whatever age you might be, if you know that you need to come and follow Jesus, want to make a decision today to be baptized uh, or be rebaptized, depending on maybe what's been going on in your life, your past, we encourage you to come. So I'm going to ask you if you would right now as we wrap up this time just to pray with me, and then I'm going to walk out. And if you want to be baptized, just walk out with me, all right? Heavenly Father, we come today, and uh, God, we are humbled by your grace and your love. Father, we're kind of amazed that you would do something as creative as baptism. Uh, God, not only a command to us, uh, but also a marking point in our life. 
but maybe even more significantly, uh, something that helps us identify with Jesus in our own death to our past, being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. So God is such a beautiful service. And Lord, we know that your, your word says that whenever someone comes to Christ, that all of heaven rejoices in God. I would say the same thing today, that if and when someone comes to Christ in our gathering, that the whole body of believers rejoices together. So Lord, we just um, we lift this up to you, our prayer. God, would you give courage and boldness to those who know they need to respond? Father, would you help them take just the first step out, which is always the hardest one? And God, I know that you're going to reward them with your blessing and your presence. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. We give you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together as we begin to worship?